we are literally almost halfway through this year. And if you're anything like me, you probably didn't even notice when February the 14th passed. You know, that one special day that the corporate world likes to remind us to go out of our way, reach deep into our pockets and gift our loved ones as a symbol of our affection. Or you could just generally want to gift the person or people that keep your dopamine levels high. And I mean, people do crazy things for love. Traveling miles just to see your loved one. Breaking bank just so you can gift your loved one. Signing a lifelong contract just to be with your lover. And I mean, the craziest thing that people do to people that they're romantically interested in is not tell them. But nothing beats this dark ancient custom of feeding blood to your love interest just to make them never leave your side. to the altered take on this episode we take a look at the dark side of romance from blood coddling rituals to other extremes that others have gone to all in the name of love around and within us lie forces big small light dark explicit mystical and these forces show up in different ways almost perfectly crafted and designed it can be dominant assertive, show you the rage. But throughout our vast universe, out of all of the unanswered mysteries, no other force remains as intriguing as that which draws you in, captures you in the warmth of her presence, trapping you in her gaze with eyes that tell stories carried on from generations. You breathe in the sweetness of her existence, the woman Huntress or sage, mother or lover, within her lies the special force from which life itself is birthed. And every so often, there's a divine flow, a symbol of the closing of a chapter. And many take the time off to rest during the season, but some found the magic in the red gold, magic that was turned into a dark practice that gave power to those who bled leaving their prey paralyzed in their charm, hypnotized by their love. No other force remains as powerful. So this was a while back when I was scrolling and I came across this interesting video. A distressed lady was narrating the story of how her life had been turned upside down all because of love that went sour. The lady had been friends with this man for some time and she started taking interest in him. She told him about how she felt, but he rejected her pursuit as he only saw her as a friend. Mm. Tale as old as time, eh? Unrequited love. They carried on with their friendship, but her feelings for him didn't fade. In her desperation to get him to fall for her, the lady decided that she would put a spell on him. Literally. She set everything up she needed for her planned spell and waited for the right time to play it out. One evening, she invited the guy over to her home for dinner, and one of the meals she had prepared for him was saucy spaghetti. Seems harmless, right? The man ate the food, completely clueless of her ploy, and the evening carried on as usual. 
Things were normal for the next couple of days, and a week or so later, the spell started taking effect. Everything was going as planned. Well, at first, the man expressed that he was interested in her, and progressively over the days fell deeply in love. This quickly blossomed into a beautiful romance, and they got into a relationship. He was everything that she imagined he would be, like a real-life prince that came to life. It was a fairy tale that came true. This, however, only lasted for some months. As somewhere down the line, the lady began losing feelings as she started to realize that after getting to know him, she liked him for all the wrong reasons and they were not the perfect fit. She then informed him of her decision to leave the relationship and that's when all hell broke loose. She left and he did not take her decision well. He lashed out and almost instantly turned into a different person. He became very obsessive and wouldn't leave her alone, even going to the extent of trying to kill her. The lady eventually moved towns and continues to live a low-profile life in fear, not knowing what she could possibly do to reverse the love spell that had turned fatal. Now, of course, my immediate thought was, People can say anything on the internet, but going through the comments, many people claimed to know of this spell, and many people also stated that it was known to be dangerous and have very adverse effects. I also remember hearing stories about such a spell when I was a kid, but I choked it down to being a myth. So this naturally got me curious and I wanted to dig deeper. Was this just an urban legend? Was it actually a thing practiced by people? Just a few steps into my research, I found that blood was considered to be powerful and symbolic, especially that from a woman's menstrual cycle, as it was believed to hold feminine powers that could be put into special uses. In fact, for centuries, pure blood was considered an aphrodisiac. An aphrodisiac, no, not the brandy song, is something usually a food, drug, or drink that stimulates sexual desire. Common aphrodisiacs include amphetamines, stimulants that increase activity in the nervous system and can increase sexual arousal. There's also oysters, which many people consider an aphrodisiac. Now, there's no scientific proof for this, but many people believe that it increases your libido. And really, an aphrodisiac could be anything. Red wine, rain, veiny hands, accents, certain scents, veiny hands. Really, it all boils down to your personal taste and whatever gets you going. In ancient times, many cultures used menstrual blood for femininity and love spells. Rituals involving blood were common in practices like voodoo, a traditional West African religion, and paganism, an umbrella term for smaller non-Abrahamic religions commonly practiced in ancient Europe. So the legend goes, if you feed a man your menstrual blood, he will be devoted and bound to you forever. Or for as long as you're feeding him your blood. And so the question is, how does this work? Why will this work? Who the fuck sat down and decided to feed their menstrual blood to their partner, accidentally found out that they became attached to them, and then like passed on that information to all the other women in the village. Let's take a step back and look at the roots of menstruation. Menstruation is when blood from the shedding of the uterine walls is discharged, usually every month, and the bleeding can last anywhere from five to seven days. Menstruation comes from the Latin word mensis, which means month, and the Greek word mene, which means moon. 
Many cultures believe that women's menstrual cycle was closely related to the changing phases of the moon and thus it was given the name moon blood. Now, the moon was believed to hold mystical powers, with full moons bringing in high energy that was believed to have a direct impact on human beings. This is where the term lunacy comes from as many believe there was a direct correlation between crazy behavior and the changing phases of the moon. But I mean really, this was just people going out during the full moon because of the abundant light, getting super drunk and filling the streets with their drunk, crazy behavior. A red moon cycle is when bleeding coincides with the full moon and it represents the energy of self-actualization, while a white moon cycle is when bleeding coincides with the new moon and it represents the release of old energy, giving room for new desires to spring into being. Symbolically, moon blood represented a big aspect of womanhood, from the pain, turmoil, and discomfort, from the change in hormones, the acne, the mood swings, the PMS, and all other fuckeries that come with menstruation. Moon blood represented the end of an era, the end of a cycle, the storm before the calm, the welcoming of a new phase. Of course, it's also the best way to know that you are not pregnant. Early uses of moon blood traces back to several different cultures and it all ties back down to its significance and its symbolism. Now, moon blood tends to have a different consistency and color from regular blood. Not that regular blood would be easier to hide, but women had to find creative ways to camouflage their moon blood so that they could feed it to their targets. Typically, moon blood would be mixed in with red wine, red or dark colored foods and soups, and this was in the ancient times, but there's still people who practice this today. In fact, there's many places where men are warned not to eat food from women who are not in their family. And that's where our saucy spaghetti comes in. I mean, it's it's kind of obvious, but also the last thing on your mind is that someone has mixed in their menstrual blood with your food. We see this explored in Ari Aster's folk horror film Midsommar that follows a dysfunctional couple and a group of friends who travel to Sweden for the Midsommar festival but get caught up in sinister Scandinavian pagan practices. One of the characters, Maya, a young Swedish girl who was ready to mate, has her eyes set on Christian, one of the foreigners that visited their commune. Without his knowledge, she feeds him her pubic hair in his food with the intent to make him fall for her so she could conceive a child with him. This was also foreshadowed in the tapestry where the murals depicted the full ritual. First, the virgin, in this case Maya, identifies the foreigner with whom she wants to bear a child with. Now the ritual was skinned on foreigners as they wanted to breed with someone from outside the commune to reduce the cases of incest. Next, the virgin then collects a specific set of flowers, then proceeds to walk backwards to the chosen man and offers them to him. Later on at night while she rests, she has erotic dreams about him and then waits for the cock to crow at dawn. She then uses her pubes to prepare food for the desired man and pee, sweat or menstrual blood can be used in his drinks. After consuming her goods, the spell is complete and the man is bound to her. They can then go on to mate so she can bear a child as per the ritual and of course everything worked out as planned. Now, paganism is a deep 
topic and keeping in mind the fact that most accounts on old pagan practices weren't preserved along with the fact that modern religion wiped paganism out there's a lot of information that remains unknown or is narrowed down to myths and stories one of the few written accounts that sheds light on blood rituals in ancient europe comes from the 10th century from the year 1000 to 1025 Butchard served as a bishop of the city of Worms in the Holy Roman Empire. During his time, he wrote Decretum, a canon law collection of 20 books that contains different subjects from church orders, sacraments, and marriage. The 19th book talks on medieval Europe, especially penitentials regarding magic and folk rituals. A penitential is a set of confessional literature compiled by clergymen used as a guide to the theory and application of confession. in the Catholic Church. The book is formatted in question and answer format where the priest asked the penitent questions then recorded the answers. Some of the questions were, have you done what some women do? They take their menstrual blood, mix it into food or drink, and give it to their men to eat or drink to make them love them more. If you have done this, you should do five years of penance on the appointed fast days. Have you done what some women do? They take a live fish and put it in their vagina, keeping it there for a while until it is dead. Then they cook or roast it and give it to their husbands to eat, doing this in order to make men be more ardent in their love for them. If you have, you should do two years of penance on the appointed fast days. Have you done what some women are accustomed to do? They lie face down on the ground, uncover their buttocks, and tell someone to make bread on their naked buttocks. When they have cooked it, they give it to their husbands to eat. They do this to make them more ardent in their love for them. If you have, you should do two years of penance on the appointed fast days, using that cake to make that bread. Have you done what some women do? They take off their clothes and smear honey all over their naked body. With the honey on their body, They roll themselves back and forth over wheat on a sheet spread on the ground. They carefully collect all the grains of wheat sticking on their moist body. Put them all in a mill, turn the mill in the opposite direction of the sun, grind the wheat into flour, and bake bread from it. Then they serve it to their husbands to eat, who then grow weak and die. If you have, you should do penance for 40 days on bread and water. Going back to the bloody spell, this liquid release from the depths within that when ingested binds you to the very source had become a staple secretly used by women to attract and keep mates. Now they did a lot of wild stuff back then, but it's not just a medieval people problem. A year or so ago, there was a trend that went viral where plenty of women openly talked about vabbing. Vabbing is when a woman uses her genital fluids and applies it directly on her skin, usually in the areas where you'd apply perfume, so your wrists, neck, and behind the ears. And the reasoning behind this is pheromones, a chemical produced by animals that triggers a change in the behavior of another animal of the same species. So it's definitely nothing compared to the period blood spell, but in our modern times, it traces back to books and women magazines from the 70s and 80s. Sexologist Shannon Boudram also wrote about it in her book The Game of Desire, and then it resurfaced again when it took off on social media. 
So many of these women did claim to get positive results from vabbing. And though pheromones are an actual thing, there is no proof that vabbing actually works. In fact, they even sell pheromone perfumes, but really, it's all just placebo. Many other spells use herbs like cinnamon, nutmeg, or ingredients like honey to attract new love, make someone fall for you, or reignite an old flame. In Mexico, there's a herb called toloache, and it's believed that feeding just a few drops of its juice to your target can make them fall deeply in love with you. It's also known as Yerba del Diablo, Mata del Infierno, which should be enough to tell you how dangerous it is. Toloache has pain relieving, anti-inflammatory, and psychotropic properties and is used as an alternative drug but many regard it as a supernatural plant especially for love spells. It's usually taken in micro doses and can prove fatal if a large dosage is consumed and in extreme cases can even result in death. All these years of evolution and the task of telling someone that you are interested in them remains an uphill battle. Now, this next one deserves an honorable mention. It's not a love spell, but was a true act of love. Born in Italy during the Renaissance was Giulia Tofana, who would go on to become one of the most prolific serial killers. But her story is not what you think. From a young age, she took interest in the field of medicine and would frequently visit herb stores to learn all that she could. Julia was said to be beautiful and intelligent, and when she grew older, she took a liking to cosmetics, eventually starting her own cosmetics business. Now, this was back in the 1600s, and things were not as evolved as they are today. Many women faced disadvantages. They weren't allowed to get an education, weren't allowed to get jobs, and their only way out was marriage, where the husbands took full ownership and care of them. Domestic violence was also very prevalent during these times, but there are no laws or systems set in place to help the victims. As her business grew, many of her customers, who were mostly wives, would open up about their marriages, often complaining about the turmoil they faced from their husbands. Julia empathized with them, and combining her knowledge in medicine and cosmetics, she came up with the perfect solution, Aqua Tofana. Aquatofana was disguised as a regular cosmetics product and was made from a mixture of lead, arsenic, and belladonna. Belladonna is a toxic herb of the nightshade family that has purple or green bell-shaped flowers, glossy blackberries, and root and leaves that yield atropine, a poisonous compound used as a muscle relaxant. The herb also has the nicknames deadly nightshade, Nochiman's cherries and the devil's cherries owing to its poisonous nature. Belladonna translates to beautiful lady and it got its name from a historical practice where Italian women would use the berry juice to enlarge their pupils giving them a strikingly beautiful appearance. When ingested, belladonna alters the functioning of the nervous system causing change in saliva, sweat, digestive functions, and pupil size. It was stored in vials, which are small bottles that are used to store medicine, and at the time, were also used to store religious ointments. This, in addition to it being similar to other cosmetic products, hid any suspicion of aquatofana being poisonous, with only those who purchased it being aware of its use. Julia and her daughter began selling the product to the troubled wives, 
but once in a while men would buy too. It was first made as a makeup powder, then later as a colorless, tasteless liquid that was claimed to be a healing ointment from St. Nicholas of Bari. Aquatofana was a slow killer, with its symptoms being similar to that of a flu, and most of the deaths resulting from it narrowed down to natural causes. The wives easily mixed in a few drops with food and drinks, and the symptoms were subtle, only showing fatality in higher dosages. Now, people at this time were very religious, and the victims took the slow death as an opportunity to repent for their sins. <coughs> being assholes to their wives and they wrote wills that fell at the advantage of their wives. Interestingly, post-mortem exams done after Aquatofana deaths resulted to nothing, thus contributing to the continued success of the silent killer. Aquatofana grew by word of mouth and Julia would only sell it to clients who were recommended by her previous customers. She successfully sold the poison for 50 years with everyone keeping it a secret. The business later on expanded to Rome and everything was flowing smoothly till the 1650s. A woman bought the poison from Julia and went home, carrying out the instructions as she was told to. After preparing soup for her husband, she added a few drops in and anxiously called her husband to have his meal. The man settled down at the table and she sat uneasy across him watching his every move. He scooped up some soup in his spoon, but right before he could take a slurp, the lady's guilt built up and she screamed for him to stop. Confused, this raised suspicion and the husband forced her to tell her what was going on. She confessed that she put poison in the soup and the now angry husband dragged her to the authorities where the truth was tortured out of her. She was pestered and ended up telling the authorities about Aquatofana. Word spread fast and eventually Julia heard about the confession. She sought refuge in a church where she hid out as news on Aquatofana continued to spread. After some time, a nasty rumor came up that Julia had poisoned all of Rome's water, which caused even more panic and outrage. People found out where she was hiding and the church was forced to hand her over to the authorities. Julia was taken captive and she confessed to killing roughly 600 men. In 1659, Julia, along with her daughter, and three employees were executed at the square, popular for murders and burnings at the stake. Information on her was destroyed following damnatio memoriae, meaning damnation of memory. This was a form of punishment in ancient Rome where a person's identity is completely removed from any records as your existence being forgotten was believed to be one of the worst kinds of torture. That was heavy. Back to the bloody spell. Now, whether or not the spell works is arguably unknown, but many women who carry out this moon blood spell have reported things going wrong for them, with only some reporting a happy ending. Now, after carrying out the spell, things tend to go really well at first, but then they take a turn. And usually this is because the women realize that they were simply just infatuated and not actually in love with the men. And it's usually too late when they come to this conclusion, just like the story I told you about earlier. Owing to the strong bond created once the goods are ingested, the bond is really strong and hard to break and this is why the victims tend to become dangerously obsessive until the spell is broken. The spell also has to be done consistently, meaning that the woman has to regularly 
feed her blood to the man in order to keep the spark alive. Now, some of the worst horror stories of this spell going wrong come from women who hit menopause. Menopause means they have no more blood to feed the man. When there's no more blood to feed the man, over time, the veil of the spell gets lifted and it stirs a deep aggression in the victims as they slowly begin to realize that they were never truly in love, but instead, their free will was being controlled the whole time. In this plight of rage, anger, and confusion, many lash out, even going to the lengths of murder. So to my lady-loving fellas, are you truly in love with that woman? Or are you secretly bound by a love spell that's made you believe that she's your one true soulmate? And that's it for this episode. Tune in for the next one as we dive into the world of sleep paralysis and all of your worst nightmares. Bye, honey.